Welcome to the RDH Magazine Podcast, an Endeavor Business Media production. This show represents the voice of today's RDH. Like mine. And mine. Like mine. And mine. And mine. And yours. Join us each Tuesday and Thursday as we explore trending topics and go behind the scenes and into the minds of our amazing writers and friends. And now, here's the latest episode with Jackie Sanders. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us. My name is Jackie Sanders, Chief Editor of RDH Magazine, and today I am joined with my friend, Candace Swarthout. Hello, Candace. How are we today? Hi. Hi, Jackie. I'm well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, today and next week, we are going to be talking about trauma-informed care and what causes it and then how you implement it in your practice. So I am going to let you start from here, Candice, and tell us about trauma-informed care. Sure. I think I want to start with talking about what is trauma, just to kind of set the stage a little bit for that, just to help our listener like see why we would even implement trauma-informed care. So talking about, you know, what is trauma, that these are deeply distressing or disturbing experiences that people have, and they can cause them to have, you know, mental, emotional, physical, social, or even spiritual disturbances. So think about that, Jackie, those five things, that's the five dimensions of wellness, right? So we look at what is wellness, it's those five things. And if it, it might not even affect... It could affect just one of them, but it also could affect multiple parts of of our wellness. And it can be pervasive. It could be something that affects our daily life, our daily living, our, the way we do relationships. Mm-hmm. It could be the way we do relationships at work, at home, you know. And so here this, you know, we have this traumatic event and then it just infiltrates our whole life. Yeah. And it, it, it's more common than we even realize. You know, there's there's a saying, you know, you never know what's going on in somebody's life. So, you know, be yes. nice to everybody, really, because you don't know what they're struggling yes. with. That's so true. It's just, in fact, last week I spoke at an event and I ended up speaking with the lady for 20 minutes after that was a survivor of human trafficking, you oh know, my. and so you just, you just don't know. Yeah. And that's what your wheelhouse. going through. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, it well, is, and it's, it is. You so. know, I was talking with somebody yesterday that wants to start speaking, and of course it's always a fearful, you know, colleague-to-colleague presentations because you feel like everybody's judging you. And I told her, I mm-hmm. said, you know, you only have to reach one person in that room, and then that's yeah. why you did it. And so that day yes. you knew it confirmed, you know, why you talk so much on trafficking and trauma now. So, yes. so how do you know you know, where to go with this trauma situation? I mean, how do you decipher if you're you're needing to care for somebody in a different way that yes. has been traumatized? So that's a really great question. So in trauma-informed care, as the clinician that wants to be a trauma-informed care clinician, what I do is, I this is the way I live my life as a clinician at this point. I don't just try to choose based on, you know, picking and choosing who I think might be traumatized. I use a broad lens. So that broad lens says that every person that walks in my chair, in my room and and sits in my chair may have had trauma. And because of that trauma, something might happen in their healthcare experience today with me that could trigger that trauma. And so then 
I need to make some adjustments for that. But really, as a trauma-informed care provider, I'm just doing this for everybody. Yeah. So I'm not triggering them. And that's what we can talk about next week is like, what are those things mm-hmm. that I'm going to do to implement in every single appointment just so I can make sure that I'm not venturing into that re-traumatization with my patient? And you had mentioned when we were talking earlier, you were talking something about the three E's. Is that something you'll talk about next week? Yeah, I think I'll go ahead and touch on that right now because okay. I think it's a nice foundation. So when we talk about, you know, I was saying that that somebody could have had this disturbing or distressful event. So one of those E's, it's the three E's are events, experiences, and effects. So okay. the event is that something must have happened to the person. They must have been exposed to something. And that could be, you know, Jackie, think of anything that could be a terrible thing, like abuse of any of any sorts, violence, natural disaster, neglect. Okay. That can be something that happens one time to someone, or it can be something that's recurring. It's something that they get exposed to. And it also might be something that happened directly to the person or something that they witnessed. So think about our first responders, that they witness this every single day, every time they go on shift, that they're witnessing some kind of trauma. My partner is a first responder. He's a fireman. So I have a lot of personal experience. I didn't know that. So is my husband, but he's retired. My husband's retired fireman. Oh, really? I did not know that about you. I'm sure we have lots to talk about then. (laughs) Well, we hear a lot of stories, unfortunately. (laughs) Yes, yes, we do. We do. And, And like I said, this could happen, you know, to... So you're directly or witnessing it. This could even be an example of like a child that sees their parent being abused chronically over and over again. So maybe the abuse didn't happen directly to them, but they they sat or they hid or whatever, and they watched their parent be abused. And then that second E is experience. So this is how different people experience events in different ways. So let's just say you and I are in a car accident together. Mm-hmm. And we're fine. You know, maybe we total the car, but we're fine. We're bruised up. And I have trauma from it. I can't drive. I'm having nightmares. I have all this new anxiety. But you're saying, hey, Candace, it's okay. Like we lived. We're okay. We walked away from it. It's just a car. You can get a new car. So your experience was different than mine for whatever reason. And that has to do with the way our brain processes that, which I'd like to talk about if we have time today, yeah. that might that may need to wait for next time, but I want to talk about how our brain processes that. And then the last thing is the effects of the trauma. So this means, just like I said, it, it can affect you and I in different ways. And that can mean that maybe I have immediate symptoms, like I, I'm in shock, I have nightmares, or it could be some things that are long lasting, like people go through their whole life carrying around these traumatic events that were never integrated properly into their brain. And so it can be so pervasive, these underlying symptoms. So we can see people who have, you know, ongoing, this can be the person who doesn't understand why they're always end up in these bad relationships or how these behaviors keep coming up for them at work over and over again. And that could be that underlying trauma that's affecting the way they behave, the way they react to people. Maybe it, it's a, that they're now they're using drugs and alcohol to numb that out. Yeah. And again, varying from person to person. An example I have from my partner is that he has to find ways to block it out by making it not a big deal. So one night he was on shift and I text him and I'm like, hey, how was your day? What'd you do today? So he says, he texts back just this so matter-of-factly. He said, CE, the store, the city shop, and a dead guy. 
And so I read it and I was like, oh my gosh. And then I realized that that's how he has to process it. Like he had, he was, after 20 years of being a fireman, he can't let that be something that he carries around with him, but he does. Yeah. And so the way he just kind of, you know, tries to process that information is he just lumps it in a dead person, seeing a dead person that day with going to the grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Which is, you've probably heard some of those stories yeah, well, yourself. Yes, <laughs> I have. And, and uh, you know, it, it's something that we have talked about. And I think there are different ways of processing it as that's, you know, a matter of life. And they did what they could to, yes. you know, they did what they yes. could. But, yeah. um, you know, uh, there's so many instances where they come in where the individual is already deceased, whether it's from drugs, you know, the, the fires are the part they like. Unfortunately, yes, they, they didn't know that. they were going like- <laughs> to sign up for, you know, life and yes. death scenarios. You know, I can remember a story when I very, very was first exposed to a patient with trauma. He was actually a prisoner of war. And he mm-hmm. hadn't been into the dentist. He had to come in for a toothache. And I was a dental assistant at that time and working with him. And he had had bamboo shoots hammered down between his teeth. So wow. he was very, very fearful. And, um, you know, to the point where we realized he had to take Valium to receive treatment. But, you know, I'd, I'd never experienced that kind of fear from a patient and it made me realize that no matter what we think, fear of the dentist is a legitimate fear. And it may not Absolutely. be fearful of the dentist themselves as much as it's their mm-hmm. life. So Yes, yes. And that's why I wish we would stop saying, like when the patient says, I hate the dentist, yeah. I wish we would stop saying things like, well, good thing I'm not the dentist or, or just brushing it off. Because even though that comes across as being... I don't know, however you want to take it, it's it's aggressive or whatever. That patient's telling you something. There's a story behind what they're saying. And they and I feel like you're the the story the guy told you about his prisoner of war, yeah. that was a gift that he shared that with you. Yeah. Right? Because he could have kept that to himself and he could have come in and just said, I hate the dentist and not told you why. And I think that that's what's going on with a lot of our patients that say that. There's this underlying, it's a real fear and they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So it's easy to lob that out of their mouths, right? And just say, I hate being here. Sure. And and don't take it personal. I mean, there's I'm sure there's mm-hmm. scenarios and things in my life I have to do that aren't my favorite things to do, but you know, I still do them. And we have to, I don't know, I as healthcare providers, we are there to take care of that individual no matter what. We can't take it personal. We can't turn them away. Mm-hmm. We have to work with them. We have to listen. We have to be patient. But um, let's talk about the brain process for all of this. So when we look at the neurobiology of how trauma is processed in the brain, I'm going to try to keep it as simple as possible. So think about, dig back into your head from your anatomy and physiology class that you have your prefrontal cortex, which is that big part of like where your forehead is. And then behind that, there are these two little almond size things called your amygdala. And your amygdala is a... It's an emotional part of your brain. So when you have a normal memory, it gets processed or what's called integrated into the prefrontal cortex. So you can recall that memory without any um, really like things coming up into your body. You can think about it without too much emotion. But when you have a traumatic memory that doesn't get processed or gets integrated, it gets stuck 
in the amygdala and it loops in there. And so when something happens that triggers that, it could be that something could be a sound, it could be a sight, it could be us putting a mirror in someone's mouth. There's just all of these different things that could trigger that. It could be like that helplessness of laying in the dental chair with their hands by their side. And then we're, you know, we're right. putting our hands or a mirror in their mouth and that could trigger them. So that activates that, that amygdala and the person gets engulfed in the original feelings of the trauma. So their body feels it. Their, um, they might have the images flash through their mind. They might hear the sounds of it. They might smell the smells. And now they're in this PTSD flashback. Now, what's happening in the moment, that trigger might be different. So it's like this external stimuli that's different than their original trauma, but it somehow reminds their brain of it. So until that that memory, that trauma is processed out of the amygdala into the prefrontal cortex, that person could have those PTSD flashbacks over and over and over again. And one of the ways that we get that to happen is through therapy. I really love EMDR therapy. I'm actually doing it myself right now for some of my own things that I need to work on. And it's very, very interesting. I'm going to be trained in it this summer because I, I think it's really cool awesome. and I want to be able to do it with my clients. Oh, good. Another but podcast. That's one way. <laughs> yes, that, yes, I, exactly. So that's one of the ways that we get that that amygdala to start talking to the prefrontal cortex in a different way, integrate that memory. It doesn't make the memory go away. It just makes uh, our bodies and our minds respond to it differently. Okay. EMDR training. Okay. Keep that, keep yes. that one uh, in the pocket. That sounds like another, another podcast for us, Candice. Well, once again, this is just such an amazing topic to our listeners. We are going to do a uh, part two for this because there's so much more now that we know the issues that some of our patients may have. Now that we can respect those patients, how do we take care of them? So Candice, thank you for today. And uh, I thank can't you. wait to uh, talk to you again and get part two out to our listeners. Everybody take care. Have a great day. Be patient with those patients that say they don't want to be in your chair. We never know what's going on. Take care. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of RDH Magazine Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this interview. Hit that subscribe button and join us next Thursday for another conversation with Jackie Sanders. Find us on social media, visit our website, and sign up for one of our amazing newsletters to keep up to date with your profession. Hygienists come for the education, but stay for the community. See you next time.